This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast. Uh, in today's segment of the Meet the Investor Show, uh, we talk to uh, Melis Cararo, who is the Managing Director of the Catalyst Fund. Uh, so welcome to the show, Melis. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, so maybe as we start off, uh, let's just start off by uh, first of all understanding what the Catalyst Fund is. Absolutely. Catalyst Fund, um, in short, is a global accelerator for early stage inclusive tech startups across emerging markets. Mm -hmm. And we started the fund actually five years ago with the intention to really provide very quick catalytic capital to early stage entrepreneurs, combined though with very hands-on and bespoke venture building support, as well as access to investors and, and, and networks locally in the markets where we're operating, making sure that they were developing what we define as appropriate, accessible and affordable solutions for underserved customers. So since the very start, we're very focused on building a program that would be very entrepreneur friendly and intervene at the stage at which usually startups struggle to find capital from institutional investors as well as support unless they have large networks from the get, right? Um, and second, also very focused on the impact piece. So how do we actually expand the number of fintech solutions that do reach underserved customers that currently don't have access to financial services at all? Yeah, and um, so why do you have the focus on uh, emerging markets or as you now call it, the underserved markets? Yeah, great question. When we started five years ago, I think the situation looking at access to financial services was, was a little different, although not that different. Um, but we wanted essentially to help entrepreneurs fill the gaps that we were seeing, both in terms of access or inclusion, uh, as well as financial health. And this is why you know, five years ago, it was the emergence of fintech solution and fintech as a sector as a powerful method to expand that reach and also usage of financial solutions yeah. um, across emerging markets. And so we were seeing both gaps in, in those markets as well as a big opportunity for entrepreneur because of course, leveraging technology and new innovation, there was suddenly a whole new world of possibilities that needed to be experimented and tested. And yeah. this is why from the start, we focused on, on emerging markets. Yeah, and you've, you've sort of mentioned uh, the challenges that most startups uh, have, especially in the early days when they aren't um, ripe yet for institutional investors. Um, and you find out that one of the key things that we, we, we find is that most startups raise from friends and family, um, but then there's still that gap whereby uh, that needs to be filled between that very, very initial um, round of funding and where they have actually gone to to a seed or a, a CDR round. So what is the Catalyst Fund actually doing, you know, to bridge that gap? That's a very important point um, because that's true. Like you might get an actually the early stage funding environment is improving, uh, especially across Africa. For example, you can find angel networks or friends and family. They give you some some capital to start off. But then, you know, when you really need to accelerate 
um, accelerate things and test the product to market, that's when you need more flexible capital to be able to test and get the product market fit. And we've seen that the biggest gap is actually between the $250,000 and a $1 million mm-hmm. uh, size, like check size. That's mm-hmm. what we call where we see the big value of death. Mm-hmm. So Catalyst Fund intervenes just before then. We actually give $100,000 to every startup mm-hmm. uh, that we support. And uh, with that capital, it, it comes with no strings attached, right? It's all working capital. And, um, and the entrepreneurs can use it really to test the product in market and acquire customers and get to the proof points that investors want to see to then make an investment. So what Catalyst Fund does is, is essentially de-risking those investments for the investors later on, mm-hmm. while helping the entrepreneurs really building the product and the business models so they don't waste all their time having to fundraise that's a huge huge time sink. yeah and and also just besides uh, besides the capital funding you obviously come in with a lot of skills both technically and you know uh, i would say just structural uh, for those startups as well that's right we from the start saw that capital was only one side of the equation we really needed to also provide the support um, and if you ask some of the entrepreneurs today they would tell you look maybe finding uh, funding today or capital today is actually not as much of a hurdle mm-hmm. as you were just rightly saying. But what's hard, it's, it's actually really getting to, to that stage where you have enough customers and attraction, you know you're in the right direction, you've you know, proven what you need to, to then continue to raise more rounds, but also building a sustainable business model. And so that's where we intervene um, or you know, offer support with venture building Mm-hmm. We have a team of experts across several areas that cover, for example, product management, computer science, business modeling, um, marketing and communication, investment readiness, partnerships with corporates, and, and more. And we form a team of, of experts that becomes basically an extension of the startups for about six months. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very you know, deep support, right? And it's intense in a way, like on both sides, because it's really a collaboration to like, figure out like, what are the challenges, what are the hurdles that we have to overcome for this business to be successful, but it pays off. And at the end of the program, the, the entrepreneurs actually always tell us, look, what was most valuable here was actually your technical support and expertise and knowledge of emerging markets and fintech specifically, um, more so than, than the capital. So of course that helps too. Yeah, and, and, and I know that you operate in, in different uh, markets from uh, Latin America to, uh, to Africa to, you know, Asia. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to, to look at the African market more keenly because uh, that's where, you know, most of our audience is. Uh, so maybe if, uh, from your experience, um, how do startups in, you know, in Africa at this time compare to uh, the other emerging markets uh, in terms of maturity of uh, their business models, you know, scale and, uh, and even, you know, funding uh, and by the way, a majority of our portfolio is also across Africa, uh, primarily three markets, but not mm-hmm. only. So obviously the big fintech markets, so South yeah. Africa and Kenya and Nigeria, but yeah. actually we have companies in other, in other markets, so Uganda, Rwanda, etc. But yeah, it's around like 65-70% of the portfolio. So how do they compare? Um, great question. I think in terms of funding flows, there's some clear differences. Like you definitely see Afri- the African continent now or at least like the main markets catching up in terms of investors having a keen interest like even investors from the silicon valley like in other other markets wanting to come in and supporting entrepreneurs uh, that are building new solutions 
And we've actually seen that trend investment rising year on year for the past you know, five years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, like if you also count the MNA deals, it was over $2 billion, right? So yeah. quite a significant progress from what we were five years ago. However, it still lags behind the other markets. So when you look obviously at Asia, and we operate specifically in India, uh, in South Asia, and when you look at Latin America, the bigger markets there, like Mexico, for example, Brazil, Argentina, or Colombia, that actually capture also the largest share of investment, is still less, also less mature. Um, And that also is reflected, for example, in the size of the deals. So we'd also see that seed rounds, for example, which is, you know, the stage that we look at more keenly, is lower. I mean, seed rounds are lower in Africa compared to the other markets. Mm-hmm. They average around $1 million, whereas in Latin America and India, we're seeing more like $3 million sometimes. So it's been pushed up. Yeah. The other trend also that is interesting is that in Latin America, for example, you do have a lot of mega rounds, very, very large fintech players getting the largest share of investments. Whereas in Africa, you do have more M&A deals. So this year, for example, you know, you've had uh, deals with large players like Visa, Stripe, right? And, and, yeah. and obviously local startups like Facebook, DPO, and, and all of that is a sign of maturity. And yeah. also, I think, is inspiration for other entrepreneurs in the continent trying to build businesses. Like you can get there. That's, that's a possibility. So I think we'll continue to see differences, but certainly um, a growing trend of both investments and number of companies that get to that success stage in, across the continent. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very, very interesting uh, what you mentioned, especially in terms of, uh, say, Kenya, Nigeria and South Africa being still accounting for majority of, um, of funding flows. Um, in as much as we are seeing, you know, the other markets, especially also Francophone Africa, you know, getting more visibility as well. Um, so maybe in your own opinion, what do you think has been at the main cause for, you know, just uh, the three markets uh, dominating? Uh, and what do you see as being the trend? Should we expect, you know, uh, flows to go to the other markets, especially Francophone as well uh, in the mm-hmm, coming mm-hmm. years? I sure hope so. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you know this, but I am actually French-Italian myself. Um, uh-huh. and I hope that we actually will ourselves be able to do more deals in Francophone Africa. But in terms of what has led this trend, mm-hmm. there's a number of factors, I think. And it all, I think, sums up in terms of the, in terms of the maturity of the ecosystem. Like, uh-huh. where do you have more of the elements needed for companies mm-hmm. to flourish. Mm-hmm. For example, in a market like Kenya, where um, you actually have the rails upon which, for example, payments can happen, like in PESA, and you've had yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs like mining on that and building on top of that. Um, obviously, growing populations and young populations across all of these three markets, investors' appetites and more capital flowing in, more talent arriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, and be able to actually take a jump into entrepreneurship um, across those two markets and more talent available to actually grow the companies as well. And it's a key input. Um, willingness of, of actually corporates to partner. For example, in Nigeria, we're actually now starting to see a lot of banks trying to, to partner with digital um, fintech startups or fintech players in, in general, yeah. um, even if it's more of a gated, um, gated market. And then you also have obviously regulation playing a big role. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that regulation is still enabling across all of these markets, like in yeah. the best way possible, mm-hmm. but you, uh, you have seen experiments 
um, in markets like Kenya, for example, the Sandbox and, and other initiatives that are, that are trying, right, to, to at least um, adapt to the fast pace of innovation. Yeah, just to then touch more on uh, sort of like um, the biggest barriers, uh, as you've mentioned, to say scale or to actually bringing um, those funds uh, into, you know, some of these countries in, in Africa. And regulation is one of, of obviously the big challenges. But what are the other challenges that you see, especially with startups that are trying to scale? You know, what is holding them back from really scaling across uh, the continent and serving the entire, you know, 1.2 billion uh, population? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there are some of the obvious ones that are still, you know, capital constraints and concentration, for example, in some product types versus others. So if you're, for example, a savings and investment company, actually, yeah. um, you may raise less than if, you're aware, than if you were a payments and credit company, which we're still seeing capture the largest share of investment. And, you know, it's changing, as we were saying earlier, but it remains a, a barrier. Then you also have lack of talent and, and especially technical talent sometimes, uh, or, if people, or even young people wanting to make the jump, again, to working in the startups versus the corporate, mm-hmm. um, even though there is abundance of it, but like what kind of time do you need at what stage of your company is, is critical. So yeah. making those, those key early hires. Mm-hmm. Um, another challenge we often see, of course, is distribution when it comes to financial services. So how do you actually overcome um, the barriers to reach, for example, last mile users? Uh, how are you going to form partnerships that enable that? And there's still, I think, an nascent ecosystem when it comes to partnerships, although, you know, changing and, and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and of course, if you want to really go to the last mile um, alongside distribution is cost of acquisition. Like, how do you lower those costs? Um, and uh, and have the infrastructure even that allows you to to get to populations that are, for example, in rural areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I think general trends that we see in each market beyond sort of what we were saying earlier and uh, regulation. But then to cross border right, expansion, I think you see you see many elements uh, again having a, a role in hindering that growth. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them is certainly regulation and how do you actually enter a market and do that without, for example, license or without understanding the, the regulatory environment. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see a lot of our companies, for example, in the portfolio, before they go to an adjacent, say, African market, they might try to go to Mexico or India, right? Like if, yeah. thinking globally from the start. And, you know, I think there when you have cross-regional expansion, you, you have to really get to know the market first, know the legal environment, the regulatory environment have the talent on the ground, understand the customer preferences locally, which tend to change, right? Mm. So there's a number of things that you have to consider. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then just to look at the recent report, uh, the state of the fintech uh, in emerging markets, which uh, you released uh, in collaboration with Brighter Bridges. Um, one of the things that actually caught my you know, attention was uh, what I'm going to call like the underserved dilemma whereby you really have a gap uh, for startups serving, you know, the rural, uh, poor, maybe women, uh, unbanked population. Uh, But you also find that the dilemma is that to actually solve those markets, um, there's actually a higher cost sometimes, and sometimes the users are not really able to afford the services, or you really have to customize your services to say USSD or SMS. Uh, So maybe in your own experience, uh, what are some of the innovations or uh, companies around actually doing and have been able to um, reach that underserved community and serve them well? Mm -hmm. 
Well, several. In fact, while, while the report has found that overall of the sample of respondents, which was around 177 respondents, uh, startups, I mean, had less than 25% of the users that were poor or rural women, mm-hmm. um, we still see a big role and um, companies, actually startups in this space, making strides still to advance financial inclusion, especially in our portfolio, because we, yeah. we handpicked them like, for that purpose. Yeah. Um, so several examples. And, and I think those that are most successful are those that actually build their solution and understanding where the users are at, like the needs of the users, how they're going to interact with the product and support them at every step of that customer journey, right? So as you were saying, solutions that, for example, don't require a strong credit scores to access credit um, and to leverage alternative data uh, and uh, other means to, for example, recognize identity, so digital identity, mm-hmm. are already you know, pushing the boundaries in terms of being able to reach a population that is thin file and visible to yeah. the formal financial institutions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, those that are also building both on, on smartphone apps, but also on USSD rails, also, right, have uh, that ability to go beyond uh, the, the digital savvy middle income user. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps solutions, products that don't need to leverage a lot of mobile data. So thinking, you know, smartly about that mobile data spend is important. Um, and in general, generally those features we're seeing are more likely to have more num- like higher number of vulnerable users. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. in, in examples from our portfolio, thinking, for example, companies like um, Turaco, right, an insurtech company in Kenya, mm-hmm. um, or even Lamy, like when you think about their embedded insurance API, yeah. so different different types. But on the one hand, you know, developing a product that, for example, leverages WhatsApp as a as a channel to communicate with customers because they mm-hmm. know. People are already using that or SMS because they know the users are already there and distributing through partnerships that already have relationships with the users is really powerful. Uh, Or in the case of Lamy, where you're actually trying to solve upstream, enabling other insurance providers to offer products via them, simplifying the claims management system uh, and and the distribution process via partnerships again, where other companies already engage with those populations. So yeah. I think we're really starting to see a lot of innovation in this space, mm-hmm. um, but we haven't reached the, the full potential yet of the solutions. Okay. Uh, and then also just to, to then look at, um, obviously, beyond payments and lending, uh, and I've had you, you know, speak uh, about this uh, on financial health. And um, so how do we uh, sort of... Uh, improve financial health uh, and how do we encourage then more uh, startups to actually then venture into products that are actually at the end of the day improving um, the health of their customers um, and i know that from the report you highlighted um, areas like embedded finance uh, being one of the up and coming areas so maybe you can also just uh, speak about that in terms of uh, financial health yes you're spot on embedded finance is, is definitely a trend that we for the reason that was mentioned earlier, which is how do you get creative about thinking um, about distribution through other channels that already have touch points with customers, an adjacent sector where finance can be an enabler of affordability, of accessibility of the product. Mm-hmm. So when we think about embedded finance, what we're really talking about is essentially in, uh, embedding or incorporating a financial product into another service, uh, digital service, that um, was not 
initially a financial product, right? And it was solving yeah. for another pro problem. And, yeah. and we're seeing a lot of innovation there in the agricultural space, health, education, um, and others, uh, logistics, for example, mobility, where the financial piece is actually crucial, mm -hmm. right? To, to adding value uh, and making the value proposition more realistic and, and more useful uh, yeah. to the end user. So uh, we just launched actually a program in uh, Ghana with the Mascara Foundation focused on uh, digital commerce, specifically digital commerce, obviously needing to have uh, the payments as a yeah. crucial component of it, or even the working capital. And they, they, after a while, decided to incorporate a working capital component to enable those micro businesses to order more stock from yeah. FNCG companies. Yeah. That happened after you know, developing the core solution, which was the ordering and logistics solution. Um, but is really driven and provide a lot of value to the end user. Mm -hmm. So those are, I think, the kind of models that I think would expand distribution faster and mm -hmm. also help develop customer-centric financial products. Yeah, awesome. So we, we've talked largely about uh, the African space and, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, a large part of portfolio is, is actually in Africa. So uh, then I'm going to then ask this question then. So what, uh, what, what are some of the key uh, features that you look for in a startup before you invest? There's a number of criteria that we look at. Uh, so first, the company's first stage, so the NDB stage appropriate for, for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so we look at companies that have a product in market. So it's an MVP at least, and a few customers and some traction that would allow us to have data points, right, and enough learning to then be able to jump in and help with the venture building. Mm -hmm. They usually should have raised less than $1 million, right, cumulative, before coming to us and, and not from, say, institutional investors. Um, they need to operate in the key markets where we operate now. So Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, and Ghana, if focused on digital commerce, and uh, India and Mexico. Uh, although in the future, I hope we can expand actually the markets of focus. Mm -hmm. um, they need to be companies led by local founders, like in those markets. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, we also try to really also support women entrepreneurs. So really look at the diversity in the founding teams as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, the impact potential. So is the solution actually focused from the start or has intention of focusing from the start on underserved population, mm -hmm. you know, being accessible, affordable, and appropriate, as I was saying earlier, and that, that's critical. Um, and how will our support then catalyze them like towards the next stage of growth? Yeah. Um, and, and also, uh, for the Catalyst Fund, you work with actually a wide uh, number of um, investment firms, uh, you know. Uh, so maybe could you just speak about, you know, the, the, the investment parts, uh, firms within the portfolio and uh, maybe also the startups that have gone through the, the accelerator program so far? So we're a bit different than other accelerator programs because we actually source via uh, an investor advisor committee that comprises of six leading investors in fintech, which include Exxon Venture Lab, Corona Capital, Flourish Ventures, um, Great Ghost Ventures, Better Tomorrow Ventures, and Anthemis, based in the UK. Yeah. And, you know, they do this as their full-time job, where they look at companies all the time, they come across their desks. And so together with them, we review essentially a pipeline of promising companies that might be a bit too early for them to invest, but a good fit for it the Catalyst Fund and of course, like strong founding teams, mm -hmm. uh, committed teams and all of the other criteria I mentioned earlier. Mm 
So um, it helps us a lot because it creates intimacy between the investors and the companies they, they sponsor or they nominate for the program, mm-hmm. which then eventually has led in the past those investors actually investing in companies that nominated or others that come to Catalyst Fund. So that that has been quite key for us uh, as a method. And then we also have a larger group of investors that form the circle of investors that also has leading firms uh, across the continent and elsewhere globally. Now I think over 80 investors are part of that. We're really focused on enabling partnerships um, or, or rather matching right between the startups and the investors making sure that they have the insights from our work and really understand the business models better, understand the markets better. And we're seeing that those introductions are quite valuable. For instance, mm-hmm. most recently, well, Lamy just raised a seed round led by Exxon Venture Lab, yeah. right? Um, a year ago or so, Kona, for example, led uh, the Series A round of over 15 million Soka Watch. That was their nominated company. Mm-hmm. Better Tomorrow Ventures, who had sponsored Chipper Cash, also participated in their Series A round. Um, and seed actually as well from the very beginning. Um, so those are success stories that we're starting to see, um, as well as actually, for example, a company in Mexico called Gravity mm-hmm. that received an investment from a US investor recently. It was their first ever investor in the region. So right. that's exactly what we're trying to facilitate. Um, yeah. It's more capital flowing in, unlocking right that value for entrepreneurs um, mm-hmm. and expanding the community. Awesome, awesome. So then as, as, as we look at uh, sort of the future of the African uh, fintech space, you know, what, what is getting you very excited uh, from an innovation and uh, startup point of view that, you know, you're looking forward to uh, for the next few years? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things. <laughs> so uh, I, I should have mentioned that today we've supported 45 companies, okay. by which 70% of, or so are uh, across Africa. Yeah. And they actually span a wide range of solutions and, and products. And I think going forward, what we are most excited about is certainly that the trend in terms of embedded finance. So how do we actually work with companies that, um, for example, are developing health solution and embedding credit or embedding payments into that? How do we work with companies that, for example, are developing platforms for gig workers? Because, of course, that's uh, a trend that is increasing in terms of yeah. solutions for that particular category of workers across the continent. We work with a, in South Africa with a company called Kandua that um, offered services for pros, right? So individuals that come and do um, jobs like at your home, like home, home improvements mm-hmm. uh, and thinking about how do you include, uh, for example, tool leasing or insurance, like right into those platforms that already have touch points. Yeah. So that's, that's certainly a, a very exciting trend for us, but also insurtech savings and investments remain, um, remain key because we're definitely seeing those sectors still being underexplored in terms of making the financial models work, right? Especially micro savings for um, lower income families mm-hmm. and also insurtech, which is definitely booming in the continent. Awesome. Uh- I was also going to ask, you know, from an investment point of view, uh, what you expect, you know, and which sectors. And you, uh, you sort of mentioned um, some of those, uh, you know, like like insurtech, uh, you know, savings and investments. Um, but one of the key things from the recent report that was a bit surprising was that um, I think a survey of from investors showed that uh, areas in agriculture, 
um, wealth management, uh, you know, and remittances. They're not very optimistic about uh, their future prospects, uh, which was a bit surprising given that, you know, those are some of the areas that we are currently seeing uh, a lot of inflows. Um, I don't know if you have anything to comment on that. Yes, uh, I do. And it's certainly probably a, a product of who we talk to. Right? We talk to over 30 investors, yeah. uh, but you never know you know what they what their personal preferences may be but on the survey we saw that investors were most excited about insurance digital payments that i think you know includes remittances although this is a hard space yeah. uh, and digital banking models especially in latin america and india we have a boom of neobanks um and also embedded finance was like key like for for many investors yeah Another, yeah, you're right. Agriculture was noted as not as exciting, perhaps also because it's it's a it's a harder sector to, to innovate in. Mm-hmm. So you see fewer success stories, I think, in ag tech, or ag, ag fintech. But extremely important to focus on that, especially thinking about uh, the future and, and climate change impacts and the fact mm-hmm. that the majority still the population relies on agriculture and farming for subsistence and for their livelihoods. So. Mm-hmm. It may reflect the potential business models today, but also I think an opportunity for innovators to really tackle those those hard problems. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. I think that uh, brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, I don't know if you have any last words to share with you know the audience or any startup that uh, is out there building the next uh, rails of uh, infrastructure in, in, in Africa. Definitely. I would say keep at it. And we actually recruiting our next cohort of companies uh, that would start in June. So mm-hmm. if there's anybody out there listening that's building a solution that could be a fit, definitely reach out. We're always on the lookout for the next you know, wave of innovators um, and hope to be talking to many of you soon. Awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Melis, for your time. Thank you, Eric.